Tyler and Troy have been ripping off like seven chapters at a time, and they left us all of 26 verses today. So you can do the math there. We'll probably get out of here a little early, right? But when I was thinking about just what we've done in the book of Genesis, and I was thinking, how do we want to tie this up? What was our goal? One thing that kept coming back to my mind is that it's almost felt like we've gone through this thing in fast forward. And I'm sure you kind of felt the same way. And so when I was thinking of that, it reminded me of a story. And uh, when I tell it, I'm going to admit just how not tech savvy I am. About two years ago, uh, actually, ironically enough, it was after the first time I ever preached here. It was back during COVID. Um, if any of you today were one of the 20 people in that first service, that bad boy lasted about six minutes and 15 seconds, right? <laughs> the second one, the one that posted on the website, was a little bit longer. It was like 11 minutes, right? Um, and so I was texted with my brother-in-law, Jonathan Thorne, who, who was just up here. And uh, they were back in Philly at the time, and he was encouraging me. We were texting, and I was saying, man, it's, it's crazy, when I was working through my notes, I felt like it was taking me like 20 minutes to go through, 30 minutes to go through. And then when I got up there, I start talking. And before you know it, it's been 10 minutes and I'm done. I just blew right through that thing. And he said, he responded. I thought he was just making a joke. But what he said was, I know it's crazy. When the video was over, I had to look down and make sure I didn't listen to it and fast forward. Right? I thought we're, we're close. I thought he was just giving me a hard time. I didn't know that was a real thing. Okay, So naturally, my response, anytime I don't have a clue what somebody's talking about, I said, ha ha, that's crazy, man. <laughs> so by the way, if, I, if you're ever talking to me and it's going way over my head and you hear me say, ha ha, that's crazy, man, I don't just send me a lifeline and put it on a third grade level. I don't know what you're talking about, okay? So this happened two years ago. I kid you not, this one month ago, I was sitting in my office. I was working. I had a podcast going in the background. It was about 10 o'clock in the morning. And I remember thinking, man, I am, I'm killing it today. I'm just flying through. I'm getting stuff done. I'm efficient. I look down at my fingers, man. I'm typing like crazy, right? I'm knocking out like 100 words a minute. Mavis Beacon would have been impressed. And so then the, the podcast goes to a commercial, and the guy talking is just like, blur, blur, blur. and I was like, this, this is crazy. So I pick up my phone. I kid you not, for the first time ever, I look at it, and just to the left of the play button, I see for the first time ever the little X and a number. And as I, as I start clicking on it, I realize the podcast goes faster. And then I immediately remember this conversation with Jonathan. Okay, you can listen to a podcast and fast forward. That's a real thing. So I just learned this a month ago, which, by the way, I, I don't know why anyone would want to do that. I'd, I would be in a constant state of paranoia, right? But anyway, all that to say, so Genesis has felt like we've been going in fast forward. But there's a reason we've done that, and I don't think the goal was to finish at a certain date or to get through a certain amount of verses by this time, but rather we wanted to zoom the lens way out okay, and look at this story and say, from a 30,000-foot view, what's going on? And so we've got the chart. Um, this is how Troy's brought You've probably seen this chart every week. And so the goal was, hey, let's look at all these events through creation, through the fall, through the flood, through the Tower of Babel, and then through these people. What's the bigger issue going on? Who is God and what is he doing? Okay, so that's the approach we've taken. And I want to kind of continue that approach as we wrap up Joseph's life and then the book of Genesis. All right, so today 
We're going to be in chapter 50, and like I mentioned, it's the last chapter. There's really three sections, and since we just have one chapter, uh, I want to read these sections together. We haven't had a whole a lot of chance to do that so far in the book, but before we get there, just a quick recap to tell you how we got here. Uh, Joseph and his brothers are in Egypt. They've come back. Joseph's in power. Uh, you know, he's with Pharaoh. He's in second command. All right. Joseph's dad, Jacob, he realizes his life is coming to an end, so he gathers his sons together, gives them this prophetic word, he gives them his his blessing, then he gets in the bed, and he dies. That's where chapter 49 ends, and this is where we're picking up today, okay? So let's look at this together. Chapter 50, verse 1. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I'm about to die. In the tomb that I have hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation, and he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore the place was named Abel Mizraim. It's beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded him, For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field at Machpelah to the east of Marm, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone with him to bury his father. So what's going on here? And I I, I don't want to miss this. I think the impact of Joseph's life here is really tremendous. Um, and, and you see God's favor on him. And I don't want to miss that at each and every point, Joseph's been faithful, right? And God has used that faithfulness uh, to give him favor with Pharaoh, right? And we see this great company, this great impact. Right? Think back to the very beginning, just how he and Pharaoh came into contact, right? Pharaoh had these dreams, these weird dreams with skinny cows and fat cows. He's like, what in the world is this? What's going on with this? All right, so they come across Joseph. Joseph can interpret dreams. What does Joseph say to Pharaoh from the very beginning? He doesn't say, hey, yeah, I got a great gift. He said, God can interpret your your dreams. So from the very beginning, Joseph's been faithful. God has used this at each and every turn, and he's given him Pharaoh, or he's given him favor with Pharaoh. And he's using this to keep carrying out his great purpose, right? So Joseph goes to Pharaoh. He says, hey, my, my father's dying wishes were to be buried with his ancestors, And look at Pharaoh's response. This is huge, and I don't want to miss this. He could have easily just said, you know what, Joseph, you're right. 
take a little family leave, you and your brothers, take your father home. But that's not what he said. Look at who Pharaoh sent with Joseph. All of the servants of Pharaoh, all of the elders of Pharaoh's house, listen to this, all of the elders of the land of Egypt, and then all of Joseph's family. They went with both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. This is a huge deal. And keep in mind, this is basically a funeral procession, right? All of the elders of Egypt. And I couldn't help but think, when I was thinking about this, I thought about a movie, um, which I wasn't even young enough to see when this came out. It was an old James Bond movie, Live and Let Die. came out in the 70s, even though I'm getting some gray hair that I'm really proud about. I'm not old enough for this one. But anyway, there's a scene in this movie where there's a funeral procession. It takes place in downtown New Orleans. You've got a band. They're all dressed in black. You've got trombones, trumpets, a drum. There's a procession behind them. They're playing some somber music. And then at some point, a flip switch, or the, a switch flips, and they start singing when the saints go marching in, and it is a party, right? People are dancing. There's boas. There's umbrellas. There's probably a Mardi Gras float in there. I don't remember, right? So I don't know if this is what's going here. Maybe, there, maybe Pharaoh sent a Mardi Gras float, some trumpets, some trombones. I don't know if that was there. Text doesn't say. But what I do know is that it was a very great company. The impact was massive. And it wasn't just with the Egyptians, right? Even the Canaanites took notice. Look at what they said. And the Canaanites, they don't have any skin in the game, right? They're not Joseph's family. They're not Israel's family. They're not connected to the Egyptians, but they even took notice. In fact, they renamed this place. The name of it is the Morning of Egypt. Right? So in this moment, God is continuing to do big things. He's about something bigger, something deeper than even Jacob's life, even Joseph's life. And Jacob is buried in Canaan. And the story doesn't stop there. In fact, Joseph promised to come back to Egypt. And that's exactly what happened, which is really important because that sets us up for this next section. We'll probably hang out in this next section a little bit longer because I think that's the key of really all of this, this whole story and maybe even the whole book of Genesis. All right. So we get back to Egypt and pretty immediately Joseph's brothers begin to panic because dad is gone, their safety net's gone, and so they approach Joseph. All right, let's read it together. Pick up in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But listen to this. This is what he said. Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I think this really, this, this response, this is huge. 
I think Joseph is laying down this idea. Remember, we wanted to study this bigger picture. What's going on? What's God really about? And I think Joseph hints on it. In fact, I think Joseph is aware that everything that's happening is not just about him. There's something bigger. He has to to see the bigger picture for him to even respond in this way. And in fact, this isn't the first time that he's encountered his brothers this way. right? This is actually the second time they've fallen on their faces and apologized. Right? When they first came to, to Egypt, they looked around. They see, oh man, Joseph's in power. They fall down before him. They beg for forgiveness, which is funny because that was the fulfillment of Joseph's dream that started this whole thing in the first place, right? Look back with me at chapter 45, this first encounter. Because Joseph basically says the same thing, but he even gives us a little bit deeper truth that, that is what I want us to hang on to today. Chapter 45, verse 4. This the same thing has happened. Joseph's brothers come to him. They're fearful. They remember, oh my gosh, we did some awful things. Joseph's now in power. We've, we've got to... Ask for forgiveness. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near to him. And he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years. And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you, listen to this, to preserve you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. And this is huge. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. I think this is huge for us, okay? Because what Joseph's doing in this moment, he's looking back at possibly the lowest point of his life. The deepest valley, and, and it was real, right? There was real evil there. There was real chaos. I'm sure at the moment when his brother sold him into slavery, he felt like his world was completely upside down. And now that he's looking back on it, he's able to say to his brothers, you know what? It wasn't you who sent me here. God actually sent me here. And even at that moment when all hope seemed lost, God was still in complete control. And he was working about a perfect plan. And guess what? You are now benefiting from that perfect plan. Because he's preserving from you a remnant. We talked about last week some of the brothers of Joseph. Remember Judah? Remember who comes from Judah's family line? Jesus comes from that line. This whole time God has been working about, even through this awful, evil, chaotic moment, God is still in complete control and he still has a perfect plan. And really, I think, I think we could take this idea of even in the midst of chaos, in the crazy world, God is still in control and still has a perfect plan. We could go back to the chart, right? Even through creation, through the fall, through the flood, through the nations, through the crazy stories with Abraham, through Isaac and Jacob, and now with Joseph. Through all of it, I think we could use this as a lens to really see the book. That no matter what, even in the midst of chaos, even though evil is present, even stories that are hard to understand, there's never a moment at which God stops being God. There's never a moment at which He ceases to have control. And at every turn, His perfect plan for redemption is still true. That plan that started all the way back in the garden with the fall. 
And I don't think this is just true for Joseph's life. And I don't think this is really just true for how we can view the book of Genesis, but really all of Scripture as a whole. In fact, if you have a, um, if you have a study Bible, at some point in the pages of Joseph, you probably have a chart that says this phrase, Joseph, a type of Christ. If anybody of you have seen that, if you've heard that, which is interesting because it's laying out so many different parallels in ways that Joseph's life was almost a foreshadowing, a foreshadowing or a prophecy of what was to be completed in the life of Christ. And I don't want to go through all of them today. If you want some homework, look up A.W. Pink. He came up with 60 different par- parallels, ways in which Joseph's life paralleled Christ. But one thing that I think we can look at in, in the life of Christ that gives us this same idea. Hey, in the midst of evil, in the midst of chaos, when all hope seemed lost, just like when Joseph was sold into slavery, God was still in control. He still had a perfect plan. We can see that perfectly played out through the crucifixion of Jesus. So much of the same thing is going on, right? When all this started with Joseph, his brothers hated him. Joseph was a problem for them. He threatened their authority. They had to get rid of him. Their choices were evil. It was sinful. For Joseph in that moment, I'm sure it felt like evil had won. All hope was lost. Right? Think about the disciples. Fast forward to the life of Christ. The religious leaders of the day, same thing. Jesus was a problem. He threatened their authority. Had to get rid of him. And the disciples see this play out. Jesus is put on trial. He's persecuted. He's beaten. Ultimately, he's crucified and he dies. And in that moment, I'm sure they're racing with the same thoughts. It looks like evil has won the day. But the opposite is actually true. God's perfect plan for redemption Even in that moment, even in that dark moment, that perfect plan for redemption won the day. And we know this is true. We can look at countless prophecies about Jesus' life throughout the Old Testament, detailing so, like, aspects of his life growing up, aspects of his crucifixion. Look with me at Isaiah 53. We've referenced this before. Verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Skip to verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, Jesus. So he's put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in this land. So why do I point back to that? Just like Joseph can look back and say, hey, no matter what happened to me, there was something bigger going on. Even in my darkest moments, life was not just about me. God was still in control, and he had a perfect plan for redemption. And it's perfected in Jesus. It's still true today.
So where's the application for that for us, for the believer? Well, you know, I don't think I'm stepping out on a limb here to say that probably none of your siblings are getting ready to sell you into slavery. It's probably not going to happen. But all the other realities of life that we see in Genesis, and they're still here today. The human condition, it's not much different. Evil in the world, chaos, crazy. I mean, we just walked out of a global pandemic, right? We're facing uh, financial uncertainty. By the way, don't, after the service, try to tell me about inflation and recession because you know what I'm going to say? Ha ha, that's crazy, man. I don't have a clue. I don't understand it, okay? But it's real, and some of you are feeling the weight of that. Some of you are feeling financial insecurity. Some of you are impacted by the uncertainty of your job. Some of you may have lost a job. Some of you have maybe, throughout all these crazy times, your family feels like you're hanging on by a thread with your wife and with your kids, and you're asking yourself, God, where are you? What are you doing? Some of you maybe have experienced sickness and death asking the same question. And I think for the believer, the hope that we can take in that moment, the hope that we can answer that question with, is the very same thing that Joseph offered to his brothers. Hey, even in the midst of the deepest, darkest valley that you find yourself in, God is still God. He is still good. And His perfect plan for redemption is true. So for the believer, you've experienced that. You've tasted that. And now we're waiting for the perfect completion of that when Christ returns. But our story's not done. About to wrap up Genesis. But before we do, I want to change it up just a little bit. I want to go ahead and tell you what's going on, and then we're going to read it together, okay? So Joseph has just had this encounter with his brothers. He dropped this deep theological truth bomb on us and forgives his brothers. And this is what, how the story ends, okay? Joseph stays in Egypt. He lives 110 years, lives a nice long life. In fact, it says his son Ephraim, he got to see his children, Ephraim's children, to the third generation. So I think that makes him a great-great-granddad, maybe. And just like Jacob, when he realized his life was coming to an end, He gathers all of his loved ones together, his brothers, his children, for one last blessing, one last prophetic word. And this is huge. Because if you've seen the poster for what's coming next in the book of Exodus, or maybe you've read the book of Exodus, you know what's coming next. Israel's descendants are heading straight into slavery. And Joseph's final parting shot for them is a deep encouragement of who God is. And if anybody could speak hope in that, it would be Joseph. He's just lived it. And this is what he says to him. He says, hey, my family, my brothers, no matter what comes next, God will come to you. He will visit you. And He will bring you out of this land. And He'll take you back to what He promised. you know why? Because He's still God. He's still in control. And His promises are true. In fact, he believed that so much, he made his brothers swear to him. He said, hey, I'm going to tell you this. Say it back to me and swear that it's true. Let's read it together. In fact, this is the last, last four verses. Stand up with me. Stand up with me. 
We're going to do this together. You guys ready? You guys ready to finish up Genesis? Let's pick up in verse 22. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. You can have a seat. And with that... We not only finish the life of Joseph, but we have wrapped up the book of Genesis. So after 25 weeks, 50 chapters, 1,553 verses, 32,045 words, we have completed our journey through the book of Genesis. Amen, church? Band, you can come on back up as we give our final parting shot. So my question for you, you know, I started with saying, hey, we wanted to look at this book and say, what's the bigger picture? What's the bigger thing? So now at the end, looking back, that's my question for you. How do you walk away from the book of Genesis? I hope, I hope what you take away for the believer is that no matter what happens in this life, no matter where I am, no matter what my momentary circumstances are, I know that God is still God. He is in complete control. And His perfect plan for redemption is true. You have an eternal hope. Take hold of that. Remind yourself of that. In fact, we're about to take communion. Even in this moment. Remember God's perfect plan. If you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, remember and worship. And for the unbeliever, I don't know what else to tell you, man, other than this. Why not today? Why not today? If you're tired of carrying the literal weight of the world on your shoulders, if you're tired of trying to do enough, to measure enough, to earn enough, if your questions constantly end in confusion of, hey, what is this life about? Man, find your hope in Jesus. Find your hope in Jesus. Trust in Him today. Let today be the day of salvation for you. God is good. Amen, church? He is always in control. Always in control. And His perfect plan for salvation is true. It's the reason we worship. Let's pray and respond. God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You are in control. Thank You that You are good. Thank You that no matter what happens in this life, we can trust You. Thank you for the perfect work of Jesus and forgiveness through him. Jesus, we love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen.